I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, what is going on in China and what is going on in the infrastructure bill? That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Monday, August 2nd, 2021. um, We have two important conversations coming up, as you heard in the intro, like literally two seconds ago. Uh, But but these two conversations are super important as a glimpse, an insight, a portal, a peephole maybe, of what's happening globally when it comes to crypto. Uh, Crypto is being influenced already in the United States when it comes to the infrastructure bill and proposed ways to gain money or raise money for that infrastructure bill targeting the crypto space, as well as things that are happening in China that are going to affect us globally when it comes to tech, trade, and, well, the CBDCs of China. It's, it's honestly, this is some big news. This has, it's been, I think it's been an underrated news weekend, honestly, which is weird for the media, but it's been an underrated news weekend. We'll get into those conversations here pretty soon, but first, those crypto prices. Here comes the money! Here we go, money talks. And I'm recording this at 11:45 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is in at $39,700, down 4.2% in 24. Ethereum's at $2,640, up 1.5%. Tether's in the number three spot, while Binance is in the in the number four spot at $333.71, down 2%. Cardano's number five at 133, down 2.7%. Running off the top 10, we have XRP, USDC, Dogecoin, Polkadot, and Uniswap. Total market cap, we're at $1.61 trillion in a BTC dominance of 46.1%. In our first conversation today, I talked to Xu Yao Kong, who's head of corporate development for Consensus and also a writer for Decrypt. Her column is called Dabing, and one of her most recent columns is about China. It's all about perception. Enjoy this conversation. Thank you, Matthew. Glad to be here. Hey, well, first, it's nice to meet you. You've been writing for Decrypt's adopting articles for a while. And, um, well, this one caught my eye. It's China's ongoing crypto crackdown is all about perception. Look, I've been talking about China, China FUD, the miners, all kinds of things that's happening in China from a, I would say, a foreigner or outside perspective. But you're Chinese. You were born in Beijing. And uh, you've been writing about China for quite some time. And I want to know, what is your perception about what's happening with the crypto crackdown? Yeah, I think as the article title suggests, we have to zoom out and look at the wider context of what's happening in China. So as a lot of you know, uh, this year is the 100-year anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. At that critical moment, there have been a lot of crackdown for financial activities and internet businesses that are like kind of, kind of out of them. Uh, the realm or the control of the government. So as my article suggested, um, there have been a lot of big internet giants such as Tencent and Alibaba who have grown extremely big. Uh, That is 
perceived to be out of control. So they add a lot of value, but now they're just too big to fail. And that perception really got the government extremely nervous. So therefore, they started this big cleanup on any technology business that, it, that is perceived to be out of control. And crypto really fits nicely here uh, because crypto is nascent, is borderless, uh, beloved by the Western government, is unknown. It's probably even more dangerous than... <laughs> Tencent and Alibaba. So that's why the crackdown is particularly severe this time because from outsiders, from outsiders, both outsiders and insiders, if crypto is allowed to you know, grow in China, then the government would be perceived as weak uh, and allow such a free uh, entity or I don't know, species uh, to, to, to thrive in China. Although you said a lot of interesting things there. Uh, first, I want you to define out of control. Um, when we're looking at it from an American perspective, or should I say a Laowai perspective, we're talking about a that Facebook and, say, uh, Google are making their own rules. That regulation, we would have to split up the companies to actually you know, try to control what they're doing. Like Basically, right now in the U.S., uh, they have, they're operating within their own rules, right? Is that what you mean by out of control in China, or is it something different? Yeah, I think they have their own rules, but... I think it's the sheer fact that they're so ingrained in Chinese lives. Like you can't survive in China without using Alipay or, or WeChat Pay, right? And that really undermines the importance of banks. So if you look at the CBDC initiative, it's really a tool to empower the banks one more time because banks are the direct distribution channel of CBDC is not Alibaba, is not Tencent, right? So when, when we're talking about things that are too out of control, is they're too big, people rely too much on them. Uh, even with Didi, like government actually warned Didi not to go public. And then Didi just like, you know, I'm just gonna go and quietly do this thing. And then the government is teaching it a lesson, right? Um, we call it in Chinese idiom that you kill, uh, you kill a chicken to teach a monkey a lesson. You kill Didi to teach the rest of the internet business a lesson, like don't disobey what I told you, right? Like just don't do it because otherwise you get delisted. So as the listeners know, I lived in China for quite some time. And I remember when uh, WeChat came out, I remember Alipay coming out. Um, I was there from 2004. So like I remember the crackdown from... When I, when I moved there, I was able to use uh, YouTube and Google and Facebook and, and even uh, MySpace at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I remember it slowly being turned off. And then I remember like these other companies coming out to um, you know, take, fill the gap, like Baidu and uh, WeChat and, and, and so on and so forth. I always felt that they were totally ingrained with the Chinese system. So when you said that they are, you can't survive in China without WeChat or Alipay, they were ingrained in the banks. I mean, you had to put your bank account to WeChat or Alipay. You were paying with your, you had to have your, uh, either your Chinese ID or your passport to even buy tickets, to buy train tickets, to buy anything. It was all ingrained into that passport, or I'm sorry, into that app. So I don't understand why is it that they need to exert power over them, even though they are already totally ingrained within the Chinese system. Yeah, so if you backtrack a bit of history of where, um, for example, Alipay came in, um, they used to actually hold way more deposits than the banks, and they got so big with deposits. And a lot of the financial uh, uh, primitives that they provide in terms of borrowing and lending uh, are considered a little bit too generous. So young people kind of take on a lot of debts just to you know buy an iPhone, that type of thing, like became a very disturbing uh, anecdotes for the government because the government wants to promote the stability narrative among its citizens. So Alibaba has been curtailed for the past few years. As we can see, a lot of the, um, the products it's been offering has been put on some sort of control. 
Um, but that has always been a gradual progress until now. I think now the government is realizing that we have to make a big splash um, uh, out of this, this um, internet giant. And the other thing that I forgot to mention is uh, really monopoly, as I indicated in the article. Um, there is really no competition in Chinese internet business. I mean, Pinduoduo is a, is a different example. We could spend another hour on it. Um, but if you work in the Chinese internet business, uh, your best path is to get strategic round funding by either Alibaba or Tencent and be acquired and to be part of their business, right? So there is no third ecosystem that, that comes in. And for that, again, it's a perceived monopoly, even though the duopoly could be good for Chinese digital economy. But the perception that this internet giants are so powerful is really uh, makes Chinese government a bit angsty. So what does this have to do with crypto then? You said, you know, this is, going back to the title of the article, uh, China's ongoing crypto crackdown is all about perception. We're talking about the perceived monopolies of these big tech giants. But why look at miners? Why look at crypto? And how does that, you know, fold into their ecosystem? Is it just strictly about banks and the CBDCs? Yeah, I think the, the perceived threat is really because crypto in China is so small. <laughs> like Chinese government should be really worried well, they have been cracking down, cracking down on uh, we call it the P2P, peer-to-peer finance, like like real uh, actual scams. So crypto scam is really not on the, it, it shouldn't have, have been uh, cracked down so hard. Um, however, it's a really convenient target, uh, right? It's, it, it's like this internet business uh, that's have a lot of us uh, scams, especially the rights of Doge. Um, and then you can use that material to kind of educate the public that, hey, look what we're doing. We're trying to crack down on this uh, foreign coins to protect you. I think at one point, the uh, CCTV mm. was making a news saying that they, they like tracked down Satoshi and they finally cracked down <laughs> Bitcoin, right? Like there's a very convenient narrative because like by the perception of crypto is free and by cracking down such thing and protecting your citizens, really showing, you know, I'm, I'm protecting you, I'm taking care of you, we're building a harmonious society. Okay, so we understand the perception. But I, I want to ask about this one too, because when in your article, you said that there was companies going uh, IPO in the US. So it was like, um, I think it was Alibaba, and you mentioned uh, Didi as well. Um, and then the government stepped in and said, no, we, we're not going to have that. Is it because they're uh, going to operate, you know, on the um, stock exchange or the, in the U.S. markets? Is that a big, I guess, motivating factor for the government to step in and say, now nah, you're going to keep this in-house. So we have total control. Is it the partnerships that was going to form out of the uh, U.S. relationship that was going to be built there? Um, does it have anything to do with the U.S. or is it just pre- pretty internal for the Chinese, I don't know, Chinese perception? I think this one is both. And by the way, Ali, I think yeah, Alibaba went on uh, US listing, but on financial, for example, decided to do a dual listing in Hong Kong, Shanghai, uh, which is the route probably Didi should have done, or Didi should have waited a little bit longer to just be listed on Shanghai. But its investor got a little bit impatient, uh, hence what happened. Um, I think there are two reasons. Two, I think. This one's a complex one, I, I think so, because I don't think anyone knows exactly there's one factor that's playing the role. Someone are saying, you know, it's cybersecurity, it's data leakage, that might play a, a role. Uh, but I think the more important one is, I we have groomed such a big tech giant, and now you decide to go abroad? Like, mm. we are trying to build our own capital market, and, you know, the government has been shouting, you know, we're gonna advance our financial, 
system, blah, blah, blah. And I've got, you know, Aunt Fanajo that's going to stay in the Asia side. And now you're going to NASDAQ? Like, what's wrong with you? Right? Like, let me teach you a lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, like perception, like the perceived perception that the government doesn't have full control. I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it makes everybody a bit nervous. Last question I have, I guess, uh, about the Chinese or the crypto market. Do you think that uh, China will be a player within the crypto market, you know, for years to come in the future? I mean, so you see the miners moving out. You see that, they're, as you said, they're making these um, campaigns to change the perception or persuade against you know, certain cryptocurrencies or cryptocurrency in general and trying to protect uh, the citizens from the, the foreign scammers, if you will. Do you think that this is even though they're doing this for, for perception, as you say, um, do you think that there's still gonna be a big player within uh, the crypto markets for years to come? I think the short term and medium term will be a big hit. Um, I think the what I call like de-channelization is, is really playing out, especially the minor part, because you just can't have big operations. So that's just done done. Um, and then the retail participation will also be significantly lower because now there are, you just don't have rent like Hobby and OK and some random exchanges to just onboard uh, retails. Um, and, and lastly, I think the less it's known, the less, uh, the fewer entrepreneurs who are going to jump on the crypto bandwagon and actually innovate, right? So I think it's going to be, uh, China will become a bit more irrelevant uh, in the short term. However, I think the biggest advantage of Chinese government is flexibility, is to legitimize every single action, even though it's slapping itself on space and, you know, change course. So if the Chinese government is seeing the benefits of, for example, DeFi or crypto in the next three years, it can very easily turn back and be like, you know what, we're going to embrace crypto. We're going to teach monetary course, uh, smart yeah. contract. So... I like that type of flexibility you don't have it in any other countries uh, and that's something that you know China can just turn back and be like hey we love this thing we're going to compete and let's go so I think the short term I'm a little bit pessimistic but long term I think anything could happen as being a national hold Chinese uh, passport do you think that this is a misstep from China or do you think that they should be embracing uh, cryptocurrency and going all in I don't think my nationality plays a role here I think I'm, I'm a, I consider myself a global citizen. I think crypto is good for every single society and all governments should enable or empower it to a certain extent. Obviously, everybody has different risk appetite, which is why we're seeing different jurisdictions acting out differently. Uh, but I do think shutting it down is, is curbing innovation and innovation leads to productivity and productivity leads to GDP. Therefore, I think every country should be open to this innovation. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I guess I asked that because if I because if America did the same thing and they were kicking out minors or, or doing that and I, being an American citizen holding an American passport myself, I would think that my country is missing out. I would say, why are you not in, in, embracing these new innovations, this new technology? Why are you not fostering this? Why are you building walls around something that's happening all over the world besides that's happening here? And I would look at that as sort of like a uh, techno xenophobia, if you will, uh, like it's it's like don't I don't want this tech, I want my tech, and so that's why I asked about like uh, you know nationality is not to say uh, you are maybe uh, patriotic in one way or another, but as a I know that what I would want from my country, I also would always look at um, America at, from an American point of view in American eyes, going you you guys are making mistakes here, like like mm. you, let's do let's do something different. I see. Actually, in that perspective, I think China is fine because China is never an innovator. China is always a fast follower. 
uh, America invented Facebook and China did TikTok. Just somehow doubled the addiction. So <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, I feel true. like, you know, if crypto just gets from zero to one in the States or in Europe, then China gets it from one to a hundred. Why not? Fair enough. Fair enough. Xu Yao Kang, Corporate Development at Consensus. Thank you for coming on the show and talking all things China. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Next, we get into the infrastructure bill and the $28 billion that they say is coming from the crypto space. What does it all mean and why should we care? That's with executive editor Jeff John Roberts. Jeff John Roberts, executive editor of Decrypt. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Uh, real good, Matthew. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm very actually I'm just OK because I just read your article about this is not a drill. And we're talking about the infrastructure bill that could sink American crypto industry. And that is concerning. What do you mean in this article? Yeah, this is not a drill. That's not my line. That's from a lawyer in the crypto space who's one of the more kind of conservative, calm guys, doesn't get worked up. But this time he's like, this is bad. What's going on is, you know, if you follow Washington at all, you know, there's a big push to pass an infrastructure bill, you know, bridges, roads, all that stuff. But there's also within these laws, there's got to be a way to pay for it. And out of nowhere, they said, hey, let's tax the crypto industry. We can raise $28 billion by taxing crypto. Um, and it was a popular thing because a lot of people in Congress don't really know about crypto. They think it's bad. It's scary. Let's tax it. It's like taxing cigarettes or gambling to them. So popular, easy way to do it. It's not going to raise that money, but it sure sounds like it is. Um, the way they drafted the bill is by taxing everyone who's a broker. And they're decided everyone who's a broker is anyone who touches crypto, including miners, including exchanges, <coughs> pardon me, including DEXs, DeFi, everyone. So for some of these people, it's going to be impossible to, to, you know, to tax their customers because they don't know who their customers are. But that means they're under this law, they're going to be obliged to do it anyways. So this is bad and it's about to pass. And what's going to happen next is, uh, is God only knows. Um, the crypto industry didn't get its stuff together in time to really ward this off. And now, uh, you know, I'm going to say one more thing, Matthew. It's in 10 years ago, there was online poker. You know, Americans could gamble online to play poker. Uh, Congress finally got, you know, worried about that. So a good target to tax and basically taxed online gambling off of American shores. That's about to happen to crypto. So that's what's going on right now. That is completely unfortunate because, you know, I've been reading a little bit. I think you might have it in your article as well as, you know, this is a chance to uh, seize the day. Carpe diem, you know, China is moving its miners out of um, out of China. I mean, with China is banning its miners in China and the miners are moving out and they're moving to different places. And a lot of them are looking at the United States. This is a great opportunity for the United States to one, get more hash power over here to start incubating more of these companies to see this emerging technology and innovation come and in, come to fruition in the U.S. And by doing that and by having these companies here, it looks as though that seems like a pretty easy taxable revenue uh, stream. So it seems as though that they're kind of you know, kind of grasping at straws here to try to find a pay it. And, you know, they're looking for $28 billion. Where are they getting that number from? And how do you think that's a sustainable, I guess, revenue stream? No one knows. I mean, the way these laws work, the Republicans at some point said, hey, we want, you know, any bill has to say how it's going to pay for it. So, you know, but they can just put things on the back of a napkin. The whole bill is $566 billion. So obviously crypto is not going to pay for every road and bridge, but they needed to fill a gap. And they're like, oh, here's $28 billion. Where they got it from? No one knows. And, you know, are they going to collect it? Probably not. But for purposes of this law, you know, everyone's like, oh, OK, great. There's 20 billion done. You know, and that's just how Washington works. Uh, and it's yeah, it's 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 not a good scene. I'm going to say one more thing. What you said about um, 
bringing stuff to American shores. Remember they did the America's done this before with the internet. When the internet first came around, it's like, oh my God, this is scary. It enables crime, it enables child porn. The internet's terrible. Um, however, what America did was they passed a couple of very smart laws to encourage the internet to be built in the US. That's why we have Silicon Valley. And I completely agree with you that for crypto, there's an opportunity here with China cracking down. They wrote the right laws to, to encourage crypto innovation in the States. That's what they should do rather than just killing it off, which uh, they're at risk of doing. Do you really think that this could uh, kill it off? And I also want you to comment on the word broker and what does that mean to the individual? Because you did mention that anyone who touches crypto, what does that mean to the individual hodler, the individual trader, the investor of, um, of well, crypto? Well, I mean, those people are supposed to pay tax anyways. It's more anyone who provides crypto services. So I could have phrased it better, but we're talking about like, you know, DEXs, DeFi, any little thing. And is it going to kill crypto entirely? No, you can't kill Bitcoin. We know that. But you know, it's a lot of startups and companies that are building things to go and build a crypto infrastructure. And under the terms of this bill, all of those companies' customers are, you know, are supposed to be taxed and they're supposed to go out and know their customer and, and tax them. Um, this is what I'm hearing. I mean, I'm not the authority on it, but I'm, I'm the story. I cite a very sort of plug-in lawyer and I've talked to the people in Washington. There's some um, two groups. There's a blockchain association and there's Coin Center, both sort of well-respected in, in the crypto world, but they're small and they are like raising, you know, five alarms over this. So, you know, that's sort of how it's shaping up. Is it going to kill crypto entirely? No, you can't kill crypto entirely. But there's a lot of sort of promising startups that are suddenly going to say, you know, faces law from Uncle Sam saying, OK, identify and tax all your customers or, you know, you're in big trouble. So a lot of these companies are going to either go, OK, we're moving to Singapore or they're just going to shut down and do something else. You know, that's interesting that you said that, you know, one thing that we're seeing now is not just promising startups that are going to be at risk, but also existing businesses. I know that there are a couple of crackdowns, on, for example, BlockFi in Texas and other states to call them a security. There's still a lot of like gray areas in the crypto space because we don't have you know regulation to understand how people are operating. You know, they're operating the space already. They're still like, what's going to happen to my business? Uh, are you going to let me keep doing this or or not? And I think that is very scary for one entrepreneurs, one the owners and the investors and everybody who is a stakeholder in that system. Last, last question, actually. Um, what can the listeners do about it? Um, what I would do is go uh, read up on someone who's more plugged in, probably smarter than me. Look at Coin Center, look at Blockchain Association, look at their Twitter feeds, see what they're saying. So what I've heard right now is there's a chance for sort of a Hail Mary thing to go and change the language in the bill, but you need political juice to do that. You said at the outset, the crypto industry doesn't have that. And I, you know, frankly, I criticize the crypto industry for that because a lot of people are, you know, too cool, too rich to really get involved in Washington politics. People don't like Washington politics. I get it. But every other big industry, that's why there's all these like tax breaks for people who own racehorses, people who you know, own real estate carried interest on hedge funds because those people all know someone in Congress and are able to get the stuff they want passed into law. And crypto industry just does not have the same sort of political juice. So hold your nose and go read the Twitter feed of Coin Center or Blockchain Association and figure out what's going on. There's sort of an outside chance to stop it before it passes. But this law, this is President Biden's signature achievement. He's not going to slow it down for the sake of the crypto industry. So after that, it might be coming to fight it in court or something. But, you know, the thing for your listeners, what they can do now is just get informed. Even if you don't like this stuff, just, you know, spend a minute on Coin Center's Twitter feed, find out what's going on. And, you know, if you, find, if you know a sympathetic member in Congress, call them. If you know Sherrod Brown in, in uh, Ohio, he's a key person, Senator Sherrod Brown. 
see what you can do on that front. But otherwise, yeah, from what I've heard, the train has largely left the station here. Jeff, John Roberts, executive editor of Decrypt, thank you very much for coming on the show and telling us this grim news. Uh, my pleasure, Matthew. Wish I had something more cheerful for Monday, but it is what it is. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. It was a long one today. A lot of information in this podcast, a lot of conversation in this podcast, but it is very important that we know exactly what's happening in these two instances. If you have any comments or questions, please write me, Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. And until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone.